Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're having another program in our series of ACT Applied to Health. And we're going to talk about something that is one of the major threats towards health in human beings, according to the World Health Organization, and that is obesity and unhealthy lifestyles. The rate of obesity in children has tripled in the last quarter of a century. About 20% of our youth are now overweight, and with obesity, rates in preschool age are increasing at an alarming speed. This is especially true for low-income minority children who have a greater risk of being overweight, eating fewer fruits and vegetables, and engaging less in physically active lifestyles. Unhealthy weight control behaviors like skipping meals or eating very little food, vomiting, using diet pills, laxatives, are also common in obesity. And many Teenagers, especially girls, have body image concerns and engage in unhealthy weight control behaviors. We also know that the food industry advertises uh, advertising targets children and youth, and this is also linked to the increase of childhood obesity. Psychology plays an important part in helping people to promote healthy and active lifestyles. And today you're going to get to meet an expert Dr. Joseph Schrocki. Joseph is a professor at the School of Social Sciences and Psychology at the University of Western Sydney in Australia. He's also the author of many books, and among others, a new book coming out in January called Weight Escape. You can read more about Joseph, his books, and his work by clicking on his name on this week's episode. Welcome, Joseph. Hello. Joseph, you are on the other side of the world from me. You're in Australia, and it's evening there now. Yes, indeed. It's 8.30. The kids are asleep, and we're ready to chat. (laughs) Here in Sweden, it's a sunny Sunday morning. Nice. Joseph, um, our radio listeners are always interested in and uh, the person behind the professor and the researcher and clinician. I know that you're an American living in Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what got you interested in, in promoting positive health behavior? Well, I mean, everything we do and everything I do with this approach, acceptance and commitment therapy, is um, tested on myself first. And the health domain is no exception. Um, I grew up in a pretty poor family, and uh, you know, you had to eat pretty fast if you were to get seconds. You, I had brothers and sisters, and so we had to eat really fast and prove that we deserved seconds. So there was a sense that you know we weren't hungry, but 
food wasn't plentiful. Mm-hmm. And I think for that reason, I, you know, I eat rather fast and I develop some bad habits. Another thing about being poor is you tend to eat really bad food because it's less expensive. Mm-hmm. So I used to eat a lot of white bread and a lot of really high calorie food. Mm-hmm. And you can get away with that when you're young. Mm-hmm. But it catches up with you. With each year you get older, you can't eat the same number of calories. And I found myself at about, uh, I guess, about five years ago when I started this kind of process, I found myself being overweight, out of shape, and kind of wondering how I got there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what got me interested in it. Another thing that got me interested in it was just my energy levels were all over the place. I would mm-hmm. By noon, I would absolutely be exhausted and have to lay down on my office floor and have a nap. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't sustain my energy. Mm-hmm. So that's when I began to look at you know, health and exercise for my own good. And I can say that you know, since I've improved my diet and exercise, my energy levels are great. I have a lot more um, time to play with the kids. I think more clearly. I feel healthier. I don't get sick as often. Mm-hmm. So it's, this approach has really brought a dramatic change to my own life. Can I ask you a little bit about this um, background about poverty, Joseph? Um, sure. As I mentioned in the beginning, uh, it, it it seems that obesity is linked to um, uh, lower income. And yes. And I wonder about so. What do you think about the psychology of what you just you know talked about from your own background? Do you do you think that um, uh, not being sure that you have enough to eat or um, sort of being out of control of maybe where the food's coming from or lack of food, that that, that, that can trigger this type of eating a lot while you have food, that that's maybe has a biological... Absolutely. I mean, I, I think so. In my own personal experience, there's, uh, I guess, something they call food scarcity. I can't remember what the name of it is, but there is a... Um, there is, they've a st- scientists have identified that there are people who have this, this fear... And mm-hmm. I certainly have that. I, I eat extremely fast and I have to make a deliberate effort to slow down. Mm-hmm. So you keep these habits even when you got plenty of food yeah. and you can now afford to go through the drive through as much as you want. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it, it's just a, a habit that made sense in this young, poor environment but doesn't make any sense now that I have access to as much food as I want. Mm-hmm. Joseph, uh, do you remember a study from the 50s uh, where, where they took, um, uh, I think, well, it was in the, I guess, in the late 40s, where where uh, college students, young men, uh, who had no eating disorders prior to this, were put in a study with a very low cal- calorie diet. Do you remember that study? I don't. What happened? They, um, well, they were followed for 30 years after they were put on this diet for I don't know for. I forgot, some months, maybe six months, and then they followed them for 30 years and saw that remarkably many had developed eating disorders that were lifelong Ah, after that. So it it made me think of that maybe starvation or at least a very restricted diet maybe does something to um, put you on a very selected uh, maybe fear of, and, and also so that they, uh, binge ate their whole lives when they had access to food. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I don't know if this is the right time to talk about this, but that kind of approach at extreme limiting has a lot of downsides. Did you want to talk about that now? Joe, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I mean, for one thing, I mean, it, the mo- what what it's teaching people is that you have to do something really extreme. You know, you have to 
because you lack so much willpower, as the message goes, I don't think this is true, by the way, but the message is that you've got to be really in this diet straitjacket and do everything just right and avoid all of one kind of food and only eat certain kinds of foods. Mm-hmm. So I think that very low-calorie diet teaches that, implies that, that you have to be pretty extreme. Yeah. And I think what happens is that you get people doing this extreme kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. It doesn't suit their lifestyle. No. Um, it does, doesn't work in the context of their whole life because food is complicated. You know, it's linked to enjoying things with other people. It's linked to travel. It's linked to celebrations. Mm-hmm. So you can't just turn things into not eating. Mm-hmm. So I think what probably happens with these people is that the, the, the rigid rules don't work and they just rebound against it mm-hmm. and they just go to the other extreme as a kind of act of rebellion yeah. or even just giving up because it just doesn't work. Yeah, it seems so paradoxical, Joseph. That uh, you know, when I ask most people, when you decide, okay, no more chocolate or no more ice cream, that it seems like you can follow that a few, you know, a while. But it seems like that your brain sits and takes these notes about what you have sacrificed and then what it wants compensation because we know it's correlated to binge eating. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a very hard way to live to say, okay, you know, I'm not going to eat the things that I love. I mean, nobody wants on their tombstone, you know, to, to say something like, here lies Joe. She finally managed to kick the ice cream habit. <laughs> That's funny. So, Joseph, tell us, how does ACT approach generally um, unhealthy behaviors? And Yeah, it's. I think ACT provides a fairly comprehensive um, way of tackling, I guess, unhealthy behavior and I could just that that's a pretty big question but um maybe do you want to start just going through kind of all the potential causes Joe or how would you like to go from here um well I'm just thinking about generally if um act an act approach might with um, the thought of how, how we could get people in general to uh, or maybe we could directly talk about your model that that I wanted yeah because I kind of bring out act in that anyway. Yeah. So you and we call know it, that, you know, eating. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You, you call it the choice point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If, will your audience be able to access that PowerPoint I sent? Yes, I could link your your PowerPoint. Okay, great. Because it's a visual, so I won't I won't talk too much about the visual. You'll be able to see that. But it begins um, with the situation that we're in. And I want to talk a little bit about that, if that's okay, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Just the kind of situation we find ourselves. Because I think what's great about ACT is that um, it challenges a lot of cultural assumptions. And we can talk about a few of those today. But it's so clear that the dominant cultural assumptions are not working when it comes to weight, right? Mm-hmm. You know, eat less, exercise more. If that was all it took... Would the entire population be overweight? For example, in Australia, the, OB, the overweight rates have hit 63%. Mm-hmm. And um, now almost half of the adults under 35 are overweight or obese in Australia. Mm-hmm. The fastest rate of increase for overweight, I think you mentioned this at the beginning of the show, Joe, is for that group between 20 and 24. Mm-hmm. So the younger kid people are getting are coming in, they're, they're heavier weight, and of course that predicts higher weights later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this this idea that somehow having struggling with weight is that you're, there's something wrong with you, it just seems crazy. It's actually normal to be overweight. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's normal to be overweight. So that's the first important thing I want to communicate. Um, the second thing that people really struggle with in terms of weight is is that it's so hard to lose it. And again, just as we criticize ourselves for being overweight in the first place, mm-hmm. even though it's normal, we also criticize ourselves because it's so hard to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. We tell ourselves, oh, there's something wrong with me. I don't have enough willpower mm-hmm. or I have bad genes or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you think about that from a kind of evolutionary perspective, it is just crazy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just imagine, Joe, let's say you and I go back in time about five centuries, we'll say, when food is not so plentiful. Mm-hmm. So you and I are sitting, say, in an Af- you know, African savanna or something like that, just hanging out, and food is all over the place, and you, are, you and I are eating mm-hmm. as much as we want. But here's the thing. No matter how much you eat, you never gain weight, Joe. Mm-hmm. But I just stack it on. I stack it on, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when the winter comes and the famine hits, which of us are more likely to survive? You. <laughs> yes. Even though I would have been very envious of you in your uh, leopard skin suit, I would <laughs> have outlived you because I had gained more weight. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, it's very natural to gain weight. Those are the genes we have. We have those are our ancestors. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is this: let's say you and I both gain a lot of weight, right? Yeah. And we're and our tiger skin suits are getting rather tight, mm-hmm. and so we both decide, Joseph, let's go on a diet. This is getting crazy. Mm-hmm. So we both go on a diet, and you just drop the weight off. And I'm sitting there. I can't even lose a kilo. I'm looking at you thinking, how are you doing this, Joe? This is so unfair, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the, you just lose the weight like crazy. And again, the famine comes, right? Yeah. And we're both freezing, and there's no food. Who's more likely to survive? <laughs> you. Yes. Yeah, I did break the story, <laughs> Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so we are genetically produced predisposed to gain weight and not to lose it. And that's really important for people to understand because people turn the gaining of weight into some a problem about themselves when really this is a human problem. When you see the entire population gain weight, then it isn't an individual problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important for us to recognize that we live in an environment where high energy dense food is easily available. I mean I don't know what it's like in Sweden, but it's hard to drive anywhere in Australia without passing a fast food restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And and it's inexpensive, mm-hmm. you know. And so this is the environment we're in. It's very natural we've gained weight, and it's natural for us to find it hard to lose it. Yeah. So what can we so, do about that? Ah, yes. Okay, so that's the hard, that is a hard question. First of all, we've got to recognize it's not going to be easy. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about all the kind of abuse we give ourselves because it's not easy. Yeah. But so we do have a model called the choice point model. And the choice point is just a moment where it's possible for us to choose something that's life enhancing mm-hmm. or something that's not so life enhancing. Mm-hmm. Now, with food, I'm not going to say like choosing the apple is life enhancing and choosing the brownie is not life enhancing. Right. Mm-hmm. So. There's another problem with the modern approaches to dieting, which is to make an enemy of delicious, beautiful food. Mm. And I think that's a mistake. But we start off with this choice. Everybody in life has many, many choices. Now, with food, we make about 200 food-related choices a day. Mm-hmm. Right? That's wow. a lot. That's a Where lot. Where am I going to eat? Mm-hmm. It is. 
where am I going to eat? You know, who am I going to eat with? When am I going to eat? How much am I going to eat? When am I going to stop? I'm going to go back for seconds. Time you add up all those choices, that's a lot. So the first thing that affects our ability to choose something that we care about, a life-enhancing move, right? And let me just be clear. Sometimes that life-enhancing move might be to really indulge in some beautiful food that could be high calories. Sometimes that life-enhancing move might be to choose a healthier option. The important point about the choice point model is that you're making it as a choice. It's not like me where I come home from work, I'm starving, and I eat like eight pieces of white bread. That's not a choice. That's just an unplanned, mindless act mm -hmm. that moves me away from my health values. Mm -hmm. Now I'll come home. You know, I might choose to have a piece of chocolate but eat it mindfully. Mm -hmm. So when I say that life-enhancing versus not life-enhancing choice, I mean that it's a choice. And it may involve eating. It may involve something else. So you mean it's, it's a it's conscious a, choice? Yes, that's right. Like I was fully in automatic mode for years and years, and I think a lot of us are um, not aware of all the things that are influencing our eating decisions. So I think the first thing to start with is to understand how much of the environment influences our you know, eating behavior. Mm -hmm. So I won't go into great detail about this because probably a lot of people know about this, but like just there's ways to kind of make it more natural for you to eat healthy. Mm -hmm. For example, re-engineering the environment so that unhealthy things are less accessible. Mm -hmm. For example, if you have um, some sweets on the table, easily visible, research shows that you're just going to be more likely to eat it. Mm -hmm. If the lid is off, you're more likely to eat it than the lid is on. Mm -hmm. We're influenced by the simplest cues and we just automatically go to it mm -hmm. and eat it. So the first kind of piece of advice I would say is to look at your food environment. And is there a way to make healthy food more accessible, easily within reach, on the table, a bowl of fruit or whatever? And is there a way to kind of remove things that maybe you don't want to automatically eat? Mm -hmm. Maybe the indulgences where you want to choose to eat it at a particular time. Mm -hmm. And the second aspect of the situation I would say to watch out for is social influences. Mm -hmm. um, there's, the, uh, there's a relationship between how many people you eat with and how much you eat. The more people you sit down with to eat, the more you eat. So if you're sitting with one person, you'll eat more than by yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting with two people, you'll eat more. If you're sitting with three, you'll eat more. And if you're having one of those Swedish feasts, Joe, <laughs> smorgasbord. 10 or 12 people, <laughs> it's in trouble. Yeah, the smorgasbord is another tough one. Mm -hmm. That's another environmental influence where you're just not aware of how much you've eaten because mm -hmm. it's just infinite and Evidence shows, again, in that situation, you eat more. Mm -hmm. So there are things we can do to make this a little easier to make decisions, mm -hmm. but there's no way to eliminate the environment completely that tempts us. Mm -hmm. So then we move into another domain, which is we've got food all over everywhere, mm -hmm. really tempting food, and uh, it's really easy to get busy and not exercise. It's mm -hmm. easy to feel like, oh, I'll get to exercise when I get a chance. You know? So we're all very busy. We don't have time to exercise. So we have this situation. And now, I think this is what where ACT is really great, is learning how to respond effectively to that situation mm -hmm. and to the things that show up for us in that situation. Mm -hmm. So we can go into that now if you'd like. Yes, let's do. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I know you're a complete expert in this area, Joe, so, uh, you know, chime in anytime you want. I'd I love to hear your views. We've had a long and, and fun relationship, and uh, I always like to hear you talk as much as I like to hear myself talk. <laughs> so, um, so when we have a, a situation, let me, let me be really concrete. Let me see. Okay, so let's imagine somebody, let's say a 26-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she's put on some weight. She works in retail, right? Yeah. She works behind a counter selling things to people. And she kind of has a, um, a manager who treats her badly. Mm-hmm. And the customers just treat her like she's a servant. So she's pretty bad. She, she's not real happy in her job. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't get much support at home either. Mm-hmm. You know, her partner's distant and not really helpful with the kids. And so she, she has gained some weight, let's say. Now... So she's in a difficult situation because she feels unnurtured, uncared for, and she's in a mall. She works in a mall, mm-hmm. and there's loads of tempting food everywhere. So let's say she goes out on a break, and she's had a really bad day. A customer was incredibly rude, you know, just sat there and talked on the phone for a full 10 minutes while she was waiting there. Mm-hmm. So she goes out, and she has a chance to kind of take care of herself and treat herself well by eating a brownie. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, what would be the most reasonable move in that situation? Well, eating the brownie seems very reasonable because essentially for her, she's in a place where there's not anybody else kind of caring for her. She's kind of caring for herself in this mm-hmm. way. So it's so sort, so of a comp- kind of, sort of a compensation. Yeah, it's kind of like it's, a, it's emotional eating. So there's research to show that people, all of us, eat more high-energy food when we feel lonely or sad or stressed. And so there is the situation that creates that stress and then puts tempting food in front of us makes us more likely to eat. Mm-hmm. But the great news is, you know, ACT shows ways in which we can respond to the situation. So we can't necessarily take ourselves out of the stressful situation. Sometimes we can. We can't take ourselves out of tempting food, you know, mm-hmm. but we in that choice point, if we can become aware, we can notice, okay, this is the time when I usually eat the brownie. Yeah. And we can have – there's three ways to do it. And you see, now we have choice. We have three responses to those feelings. That's, that In this case, I'm talking about somebody who wants to comfort eat. Yeah. Do you, do you like comfort eating, Joe? I do. Or every, all of us do. <laughs> what is your comfort food? Popcorn. Oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, I like jelly beans. I'll pound jelly beans. <laughs> Not so good for the teeth. Okay, so her comfort food is a brownie. Now, mm-hmm. in that moment, though, if she becomes aware, okay, I'm feeling kind of sad and insulted here. Nobody's really mm-hmm. giving me the respect I deserve. Mm-hmm. But she's aware of those feelings. Now, now she has choice. She's in the choice point. And there's several responses she can have. Let's say she does want to lose weight. Right. Yeah. The, I think the key is to help her to find ways in which to start to say yes to the things she cares about, which may be having a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think ACT has several ways of doing this. First, uh, I think when we think about health goals and making these really hard choices, right, like this, this is a hard choice for her. People often think they have to go to the extreme and do something really huge. Mm-hmm. 
But one thing that ACT teaches us is that if we can kind of allow and stay present to those difficult feelings, then we can choose the size of the jump we take when it comes to health. Mm-hmm. If we don't just immediately react to those feelings, for example, she could decide to eat half a brownie. Yeah. Or she could eat the whole brownie mindfully. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But she could set health goals that are kind of easier for her to achieve. They don't have to be really dramatic and hard health goals. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing that's so important for helping people to start to say yes to positive health behavior, the first thing is setting the size of the jump so it's so they're willing to do it. And it could be a really small thing. It doesn't have to be a huge thing like you were describing, which turned out to be really bad for these people, really extreme calorie restriction. Yeah. Just small decisions, small positive health behaviors and they start to experience the success of that Mm -hmm. and it starts to be reinforcing and I think it just starts to expand to other places where they start to say yes I'll do that so it could be really small Joseph is that similar to um, you know in addictions um, thinking like uh, right now I I decide not won't have a drink today I won't uh, to make it so that because I think our mind, whenever we, I was thinking like that example you have about the brownie. I think people that I've worked with, once they have eaten the brownie, they think, okay, now I can do any, now I can eat anything because I've already blown my diet. Yes, yes, that's true too. So, well, and that's another thing when you've what, what to do when you've kind of gone off track. Mm. Uh, we definitely need to come back to that. Can I? Can we save yep, that just yep, yep. for a little bit later? Sure. That's crucial. You're right, Joe. That is a big one. So they. So the the one way is to kind of make the health decisions easier so that they you know that people are willing to say yes at some point. Mm-hmm. The other one is to clearly connect those health decisions to deeper values. Right? So if this let's say this woman uh she's getting pressure from her husband to diet, mm-hmm. right? Mhm. Then she goes to that choice point. She's at the choice point, eat the brownie, eat something healthy. Well, what do you think she's going to do, Joe? I think she's going to eat the brownie. <laughs> she's going to eat the brownie and tell her husband to kiss her butt. <laughs> and I, I, you know, there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. in the health area to lose weight. And so I think people, and I know I do this, we rebel against that deliberately to say, screw you, I'm going to eat what I want. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I lost some weight, you know, like it was noticeable. People came up and say, oh, you've lost weight. You look great. And it's this really strange effect where suddenly your body becomes public property and people can comment on it. Right. We had that same. Like, we have that same experience for for people who have gone through uh, surgery, the obesity surgery, and then and when people yeah. comment, you look good. And we actually and people have acted reacted very negatively to that. Like, who was I before? You know, how come exactly. I'm all of a sudden getting attention? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I was like, well, what what I look like before? Why didn't you tell me? Blah blah blah. It's really surprising. Um, so if the person doesn't have a clear value, personal reason for doing it, then it's very likely that they're going to say, no, I'm not willing to put up with this feeling loneliness. I want the comfort. Yeah. So I think, uh, and you've done lots of work in value work, uh, Joe, so I know, I know you have a lot of good technologies for promoting value consistency. I think the, one of the most important things is to identify why they would do that. Why would they want to make that positive health behavior? And so the way we do that is usually we start by having people think about the possible p- 
positive outcomes of doing the health behavior. So what would it mean for you? I don't care about your husband or whoever. What would it mean for you to, to you know, say exercise more? Mm-hmm. How would that benefit you? And then they might say, well, I'll have more energy. I'll feel better. I'll be less, you know, I'll be less likely to be sick. Mm-hmm. And then we say, well, okay, if you had those things, let's say more energy, what would that allow you to do more of in your life? Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is connect that health value to the bigger part of their life, you know, to their how does health help you to do the things that you care about in your life? Mm-hmm. Because you know what happens, Joe, and I've done this. Oh, people say, oh, health is just something I'll get to when I have enough time. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with sleep. Oh, oh, I'll get to – I don't have time for sleeping. I have too much to do. Mm-hmm. People treat their health – as if it's secondary, as if it's something on the side that doesn't really affect all the rest of their life. It's like, you know, somehow it's you're able to do whatever you want to your body and, and your mind, and it doesn't affect your energy, your relationships with others. And so we know that it does. You know, if your energy's all over the place, I can tell you there will be periods where I'm, I was really irritable and unpleasant to be around. And my work suffered and everything suffered. So I think it's really important to help people connect those desired health outcomes to values throughout their life. You know, So how does being healthier help you to develop love and friendship? You know, how does being healthier help you to find and give joy? Those are the kinds of questions. How does being healthier help you to uh, have a positive influence in the world? So I think what happens with um, when we're kind of in this rigid mindset of dieting, right? Mm-hmm. We just our lives just narrow, and that's all we focus on. We just kind of like you know, just thinking about the diet, and everything else goes away. You know, it's like, and we say, well, I'll start you know trying to make relationships and maybe even find love as soon as I'm at a good enough weight. You yeah. know, yeah. and we we put our entire life on hold until we get to the weight. Joseph, Joseph, um, we're getting yep. we've got actually to the end of the program. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh dear. But yeah. Wow. Um, do, um, the, I think that we could invite you to come back and we can talk more about. Um, we we have the. Um, so you have explained. Could you just summarize the choice point model? And I'm going to ask you some advice for our our radio listeners. So maybe we could. I could invite you to come back again and we can talk a little more. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. I got caught, carried away. <laughs> no. um, well, look, the the model is in the PowerPoint. It's a little hard to describe visually, but essentially um, you have the situation, which we do as much as we can to change. And then we have our reactions to the situation, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the tempting food, the feelings of loneliness, the feelings of stress, uh, the, the thoughts that I have to be a rigid dieter, the thoughts that no, I'll never be able to have healthier lifestyle. You know, we look at how to respond to that stuff flexibly. And uh, I guess I didn't get too much of the uh, ACT model, but basically the choice model shows how we can learn to respond to the situation and to our challenging feelings in a way and thoughts in a way that helps us to move towards what we care about. Yeah. And, the, and what – could you give us some simple advice for our radio listeners who probably are uh, suffering themselves from overweight more or less and or have family yeah. members that are? Okay, sure. Well, I'll give a, a few. Um, well, first was to 
to make sure and re-engineer your environment, restructure it so that temptation is not so easily accessible. So when you go to eat that beautiful chocolate, you're doing it as a choice. Then I would say make sure to, because a lot of um, choosing the healthy option means that you're not, you know, usually comfort food isn't an apple. So if you're going to choose that healthy option, make sure it's important. You've identified why you want to do it, why it's important. And uh, so really get clear on your values for doing it. And if people go to the website, actually, Joe, there's a couple of worksheets that help them to clarify the value for doing the positive health behavior. Because mm-hmm. if they don't understand why they're doing it, they're not going to keep doing it. It's not going to last over time. I would say um, if you notice yourself following really rigid diet rules, which are basically all or nothing, you know, I can't eat that. I can eat only that. Mm-hmm. You know, I would recommend maybe playing with noticing those diet rules and considering a more or less approach, which seems to be more flexible and effective, mm-hmm. which is to allow your don't, – don't rule out the things that you love eating. Eat the things you love eating, but eat them in moderation. And eat them as a matter of choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, pract- you can practice portion control. It doesn't mean eliminate entire aspects of your diet that um, you love. No diet's going to work. No health regime's going to work if it requires you to do things you hate or to eat things you hate. Mm-hmm. And finally, this last point, you know, expect setbacks. Mm-hmm. There's going to be lots of times where you're going to go off and not live according to your ideal. You're not going to show up at the gym that morning at 5 a.m. You're not going to you know, make the healthiest possible choice. And just recognize that that's what it means to be a human being. It means to kind of always fall short of the ideal because we have such strong ideals. But when that happens, I want, people to, I want to encourage people to do this. This could be a whole show, Joe, <laughs> about what to do when you go off. Yeah, but <laughs> go ahead. I think practicing kindness mm-hmm. towards yourself mm-hmm. and um, – sorry. So you know, when, you, when you go off to kind of treat yourself with kindness instead of beating yourself up. I know all these weight loss shows suggest that you should, have, you should be beating yourself up, but the research actually shows that that doesn't work. And that it's okay to be kind and to kind of recognize that you're a human being and to kind of recommit to your values. And what were you just going to say, Joe? Sorry. I was just going to thank you for being on our program today, just if we need to, to end the program. Oh, okay. yes. Today you've um, listened to Dr. Joseph Jokey. Joseph is a professor at the School of Social Science and Psychology at the University of Western Sydney in Australia. Joseph is the author of many books, and one especially that you might want to have a look at that's coming out in January called The Weight Escape. You can access Joseph's PowerPoint that shows this choice model um, and his books and his work by clicking on his name on the links on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne and her work, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website icon in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. Joanne's books are available through amazon.com, including her two latest, The Diet Trap, Feed Your Psychological Needs, and End the Weight Loss Struggle Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and ACT and RFT in Relationships. Helping clients deepen intimacy and maintain healthy commitments using acceptance and commitment therapy and rational frame theory. Amazon also carries her books on chronic pain and other topics. 
We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.